I think that's like a key component of emotional intelligence. It's being able to step outside of yourself and understand somebody else's perspective. And yeah. from that, you can grow and learn and like, you know, in an organization, you can have access to so many different ideas because you're allowing yourself to see other people. The voice you just heard was one of my students from last semester. Did she just say students? I sure did. This past year, I started teaching at Temple University, so I'll always be MG the venue specialist and really enjoying my role as Professor MG. As a project for my leadership and organizations class, the students paired up to record a short podcast about what they've enjoyed and learned in class so far, incorporating the role of emotional intelligence in their lives. With the students' permission to use their project for this season, I've broken each recording into bite-sized clips. This week, I'm joined by my friend Becky Yap. We'll listen to the clips and carry on the conversation started by Alexis, Eve, and Nasira. If you're looking to gain insight into diversity dimensions and both positive and toxic workplace culture, you're in the right place. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the following episode, DEI and Intersectionality 305. Don't be late to class. Class is back in session. I am Professor MG, and I am joined today with my friend and neighbor, Becky Yep. How are you doing today, Becky? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm so excited that this worked out. Um, I was supposed to have you come and guest speak at my, uh, for my leadership and organizations class. And so you would have gotten to meet these students in person, but unfortunately got sick that week. So we're just, we're making up for lost time here. Yes, that was I. That was when I succumbed to COVID. I uh, was no longer in the uh, survivor pool. There, finally got me. <laughs> finally took you out. Um, so, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Becky Yep, uh, professionally known as Rebecca. My pronouns are she/her. Um, I work for a technology company in Center City, Philadelphia. I'm a senior technical program manager for diversity, equity, and inclusion which is a really big mouthful. Um, basically, I uh, work to embed DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion into the technical products and services uh, for our customers, you know, for equitable, equitable customer experience. So especially in the accessibility space uh, for things like television, gaming remotes, web pages, uh, making sure that all this content and hardware is available for folks that have uh, physical or intellectual disabilities. Um, my background is actually in aerospace engineering, so I'm pretty new to this role. Just started at the end of March, but I'm I'm loving it so far. That's awesome. And you know, with with all the clips that we're talking about today, you can see why it was a perfect fit uh, to match you up um, with our three students today, uh, Alexis, Eve, and Nasira. So we are going to go ahead and jump into our first clip. I'm Eve Machada. I use they/them pronouns. I'm Alexis Adams, and she, her. And I'm Sarah Mohammed, she, her as well. To start off, we were kind of looking at the uh, 11th week topic of racial and diversity inclusion within the workplace. Um, and we thought it was pretty interesting just how, like, there are a lot of different factors when it comes to diversity. And I think primarily the most important factor is racial diversity and having different perspectives potentially from different cultures or places from around the world. Um, 
And even places like within the US having like different racial identities, having their own perspective um, is really interesting to hear and imp an important input when, you know, like doing projects and in, in work along with um, the secondary idea of looking at people's gender and seeing that having a different not only racial identity but also a gender identity can increase the total diversity and perspectives that people can bring to the table i think that's a, a really profound like you know point to make in you to have and i mm. think just being mindful of everyone else's uh, you know and being mindful of other people and understanding that other people come from different backgrounds and just accepting people for where they're at and who they are exactly like you would never want to immediately assume the worst in someone you know just because someone might do something that could be off-putting or confusing to you doesn't mean that it's necessarily wrong or something yeah. that you should look negatively at yeah i think that's like a key component of emotional intelligence it's being able to step outside of yourself and understand somebody else's perspective and yeah. from that you can grow and learn and like you know in an organization you can have access to so many different ideas because you're allowing yourself to see other people. They're so, they're just so brilliant. I just, I just loved listening to all of these clips again. Um, you know, so with your new role within, you know, the DEI space, like kind of, um, you know, and as a human being, like, what are your reactions to, to what um, these folks had to say? So uh, first of all, definitely commend Alexis, Eve, and Nasira. I think they're so compassionate and thoughtful. Um, they make great points on empathy and mindfulness. And I think they touched on intersectionality. I think the, the student called it total diversity, but you know, same, same type of thing. Um, so really, really applaud that this is something that's being discussed uh, at the student level because it's a pretty advanced topic and it's a nebulous space that's continually being defined and evolving. Um, one of the things that they, the first student touched on was factors. So at our company, we call them diversity dimensions. They're also sometimes called protected classes, characteristics, protected characteristics, protected classes. Um, and diversity dimensions uh, encompass a lot of different things, right? So they, they do include the dominant culture. So maybe like cis white male, um, but they also include the traditional, what we think of as marginalized communities. Uh, they touched on you know, racial identities, things like that. Um, and so it's great that the students are thinking about this because it's something that is present in you know, the everyday world and in the workplace, it, you know, it continues on in life in the workplace. Um, so it's important to have a holistic understanding of how this might affect uh, you know, their life from a student or professional perspective. Uh, Another cool thing about diversity dimension, something that I was just learning over time was that, you know, some are mutable or inherent, so they won't change over time, like, like racial identity, that's something that they touched on at the very beginning, while others are acquired, like your socioeconomic status or education level, and then some may change over time without action, like, you're, everyone's going to age, and over time, your physical ability might change, you know, without your control, so, um, it's great to just keep all these factors, as they call them, in mind because it really informs the whole being. 
Um, I love that they touched on regional differences, even among racial identities or gender identities, because you know, different demographics are not monolithic. So um, a person of color living in New York City might have different experiences than a person of color living in Texas, for example. Um, exactly. And yeah, yeah, for sure. And then um, another important thing uh, is to differentiate identity from, uh, from basically diversity or diversity dimensions. They're related, but they're a little bit different. So an identity, um, is distinct. You can be a parent, a soccer fan, an artist, a widow, a volunteer, um, and you can hold multiple identities, you know, but these aren't necessarily related to the dimensions or classes that we think about, like race or gender. Um, so yeah, my company's doing a lot of, of great work in this area, in addition to, you know, hiring and retaining and fostering the growth among a widely diverse talent pool. Um, yeah, I've really like said, enjoyed the, the different types of people that you've shared with us of like the you know, the, it, it seems like it's a very diverse community compared to your, your former employer. Um, and I just love that you're getting to work with all different types of people. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, and all the things that I just, you know, that big spiel that I just gave, thanks for listening <laughs> through it, uh, was all things that I learned at work. You know, like I said, my background is aerospace and mechanical engineering and DE&I was kind of a passion project that I've developed in the corporate space over the last eight years. And so the fact that some of these academic points are things that my company provides in a training aspect, in a formalized training aspect is, is just wonderful. So- Well, I think um, what you had to say was fascinating yeah. because there's so many, the, the way that you said it, it, it's things that, you know, as a privileged white cis female, like I feel like those are, it, it's, my brain doesn't necessarily operate in that, in that way. And so that's why we have these conversations and that's why we keep learning because it is a journey. Yeah. A hundred percent. Awesome. Excellent. Well, with that, we are going to jump into the next clip. What are some of the ways that you guys interpret emotional intelligence? Um, just someone who like being mindful and like, I feel like being mindful is like a loaded subject. Like knowing and thinking like outside of just who you are, but like yeah. being empathetic and, and, and having a, a deeper understanding of like maybe why someone else is doing something or how they got there and not just seeing things like face value. I think that's a big part of like emotional intelligence, being able to like see people. Mm -hmm. And not mm -hmm. just like judge them, yeah. and knowing that like every action has a reaction. Yeah. I know I we I shared with you guys earlier how my introduction to emotional intelligence was knowing that if someone cuts me off when I'm driving. If somebody cuts me off if I like retaliate immediately. You know that could lead to like that could be dangerous. One, yeah. Two, it could just it just leads to further problems down the road where someone who has emotional intelligence understands that something bigger can happen, just like mm -hmm. take a deep breath, calm down, and just drive on. You know what I mean? Everything doesn't warrant a reaction all the time. And just, you know, being able to think ahead a little. I can definitely see um, emotional intelligence like as used as like in a leadership position, um, especially with like communication. Um, and, you know, with emotional intelligence, that's like, um, listening to others, you know, reflecting before you respond to them, acknowledging them, having empathy, and trying to, like, 
recognize any misunderstandings. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like from my own personal experiences, like you, you want to work for people that have your best interests at heart um, and people that respect you and value you. And I've worked for people in the past that just did not do that like at all. And I've worked with people that were just, just really aggressive with their words. And, you know, instead of communicating their problems um, and trying to work to resolve the problems of like miscommunication, they would just be completely belligerent. And it was kind of like a hard situation because I had never had to really assert myself before. Um, mm -hmm. But it's like hard when someone is like, you know, in this position above you and they're just like kind of patronizing you. It's like, where do you, how do you respond to that? It's difficult to hear, um, you know, Alexis talk about her negative experience because I can absolutely relate to that. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, oftentimes we learn how to be better leaders by what not to do. And uh, with the concept specifically of emotional intelligence, I really was not aware of it as a concept until teaching about it this past semester. And, you know, I, I know I personally can't really pinpoint a time where I'm like, okay, I am now self-aware. I am now able to regulate my emotions. I am now very empathetic, but I feel like it was just like this journey over time and lived experiences. So, so Becky, what about you? Like, is there do you feel like, like, has it also been a journey for you or were you like, oh, nope, I took this class or I had this experience and okay, here we are, emotional intelligence and self-awareness. Um, good question. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I agree. I, I, it's, it is hard to uh, hear these struggles that Alexis has gone through and, and the other students, even Asira, and I commend them for being transparent and vulnerable and sharing their stories because that's how we all grow. Um, and, and to your point, it's, it's a journey and it's a continual journey and none of us are ever done. And um, it's something that's going to evolve with current events and with our increased understanding. And um, as the society becomes more self-aware, like I, I don't feel like pronouns was necessarily a topic of conversation five, 10, 15 years ago. And, you know, here we are introducing ourselves with them, which is great, right? So it's always going to evolve. And another point that you made, which I totally agree with, was that sometimes bad experiences are good teachers. So sometimes learning what not to do from ineffective leaders and organizations can be just as valuable. Um, as far as my personal journey, so I heard about EQ, emotional intelligence. Um, I don't know that it was like a light bulb that went off. Uh, I think similar to you and most other folks, it's an ongoing learning experience. Um, I have been in cognitive behavioral therapy for 10 years now. And so working with uh, a therapist for a long time on, uh, you know, modulating myself and, and setting realistic expectations and understanding what is, what is and not in my control. Uh, so working in the gray area of life, um, which is not something I was necessarily raised with. I was raised with pretty strict uh, academically minded parents. You know, there was a right and a wrong is it fairly binary in terms of uh, success criteria. So navigating the gray space and giving each other grace is, is something that's definitely been part of this evolution. Um, in a corporate setting, absolutely. Uh, the speakers, the students were 
correct. You know, this is this is something that's inherent to leadership, and uh, we see this often in like Myers Briggs assessments or other personality types in relationships as love languages. Right? You you need to understand and empathize where the other person is coming from, facilitate positive dialogue, and hopefully, I mean, best case scenario is you're not just sympathizing, you're empathizing because there are voices in the room that represent diverse perspectives, right? We, we at our company say nothing about us without us. Like we're not gonna make technology for folks with lived experiences that we don't have. So we're gonna hire people on that have those lived experiences and can best inform um, you know, what, what needs to be done. That's awesome, I love it. All right, let's jump into our next clip. Yeah, and I feel like as a leader, it's just important to be able to take time to like reflect on yourself um, and that, you know, the decisions that you make and respond appropriately. And like, you know, if you're working with someone, um, know that they could be potentially uncomfortable with like telling you about yourself. So maybe even like asking questions to get some insight as to like, you know, are you respecting them? Are you like respecting boundaries, you know? But just, yeah, stepping outside of yourself. I almost wonder as well, you know, talking about how your managers were being belligerent. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they felt like they had to be that way, just because I feel like in a lot of media, managers are kind of seen as like stern figures who like, to some degree are like always right. And like, you have to do it their way or the highway kind of mentality. Yeah. And so I wonder if people think they have to fill that role as opposed to realizing there are multiple ways to lead people. And in (laughs) fact, that's probably one of the worst things you can do is to not give people like creative liberty and like leeway and feel comfortable where they're at in their job. Cause like how comfortable did you feel there? You know? Yeah. Not comfortable at all. (laughs) Like I didn't feel like I could ask him questions because if you ask him a question, it's like, he'll just get, mad that you asked and it's like that's the whole point of you being a leader is you know guiding me and yeah it was just a really terrible experience and so you know in other classes we've talked about like the role of gender and like leadership and managing mm-hmm. and uh it kind of talked about like how men are able to use aggressive language and to be stern or just be aggressive in general where women are not like afforded that right a lot of the time and people interpret them as being just like rude but men are allowed to do it and i kind of like after the fact i was just like you know he really didn't respect me as another person and Mm. it's like he did this with everybody like yeah he was just it's like it was okay for him because nobody had like checked him on it Oh, what Alexis has to say is just so infuriating and frustrating because I, I think that that has been, um, you know, a problem for a long time of, you know, men are able to, you know, particularly in leadership roles are able to act aggressive and that's quote unquote, okay, which it's clearly not okay. And I think that that's why a lot of us are pushing back, speaking out, Um, kind of not afraid of the consequences, but at the same time, moving away from that toxic masculinity culture and finding spaces where we can thrive and where we feel, um, you know, appreciated and celebrated and 
you know, not talked down to, not yelled at. So, you know, I'm kind of curious, Becky, with with regards to your 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 previous place of employment. Um, I know there was a lot of, you know, kind of toxic masculinity and, um, you know, do you think that there will ever really be a shift in change um, with companies like them? Um, or do you think that that's just how it's always going to be? Uh, <laughs> great <laughs> question. Um, okay. So I think change is possible. It needs to be a step function change. Unfortunately, a lot of organizations do, you know, corporate window dressing, greenwashing, kind washing, rainbow yes. washing, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, they mm -hmm. virtue signal without putting the resources that is, you know, money, hiring, training, once people, once they get people in the door, actually fostering a culture of inclusion and growth um, that will affect long-term change. Um, so I definitely resonate with your students. I'm really sorry that they had to go through those experiences. Um, the second speaker, I think it might've been Eve talked about, you know, had to be that way. Yeah, that was, that was Eve that said um, their, their point was, uh, you know, do, do they think that this is the way that it's always been done. And like, maybe this is how I was taught. And so this is the style that I'm going to lead with because I don't know any better. Exactly. Right. Toxic workplace cultures are, I think are learned, you know, it's the, I I had to suffer. So you do too mentality, you know, and, and, or I, I just have to do what it takes to survive. And so like a form of hazing, you know, it makes me think of kind of like the, the college forms of hazing of I endured this. So I in turn am going to haze you and the cycle continues. Right. And in a way I, I'm like pity, you know, the people that have this mindset because they're stuck in this cycle and it's not even necessarily their fault. It might be that they weren't given the resources and they don't know better. They don't know how to lead. They're not equipped for success. I mean, at my, at my previous company, first line manager was like the worst job ever, right? You, you had to be the career developer, the technical backstop. You had to work, you know, on finance and schedule. You had to lead upwards and, and, but also, you know, take, uh, take all the crap that came um, from leadership and, and shield your, your subordinates from that. And it was just like way too many hats for one person to wear. And so then as humans, when people are not set up for success, you know, shit kind of flows downhill. So yep. unfortunately they weren't equipped to deal with that. Um, so in a way it's almost like a pity, you know, if, if the system is not set up for success, of course there's going to be failure. Um, so it needs to be a step function change. And uh, while individuals can be bright spots in these little oasises in these organizations, it takes a step function, you know, shift in order uh, for these things to happen. Um, I do want to say something about the asking questions, which is what one of the speakers said at the very beginning. I love that. I think asking we should all ask more questions. And unfortunately, it sounds like those speakers were put in a situation where asking questions was frowned upon because instead of teaching, they were being shamed for not knowing something, which is a terrible thing to put a young person through. Mm -hmm. um, so as a leadership style, you know, always no questions, a dumb question uh, type of mentality is, is something that I try to foster. The only caveat is uh, if you're asking a personal question, I always make sure to offer up that same information of myself uh, just to be equitable, right? So if I'm going to ask your pronouns, I would say, 
hey, MG, I use she, her pronouns. Like, what pronouns do you use? Or, hey, MG, my background is I'm Chinese. You know, what's your ethnic heritage? Because otherwise no you come off as probing or othering, right? You don't want right. you don't want it to be a bridge and not like a, I'm going to point out this, this specific mm-hmm. identity of you to be nosy. Absolutely. And it's, you know, I think that it's a, it's a fine line. You know, we were talking about this a little bit before the reporting that, um, you know, we absolutely want to be respectful of other people. And I think it's like kind of learning how to approach um, certain situations, you know, what is the best way to, um, you know, ask someone's pronouns. And, you know, so that's why, uh, you know, a lot of us are now putting it in our email signatures. And I think the biggest thing that we can do is just normalize it and continue to um, learn, um, you know, the best, the best way to, to either ask or communicate or learn. So Becky, what is your employer's um, approach to asking and or sharing pronouns? So it's definitely very normalized at my place of work, which I'm grateful for. Um, most people put it in their email signatures on their Slack handles. Uh, and if they don't, um, we have a positive corporate culture where people give each other grace. I actually was, uh, was politely corrected offline. I was holding a meeting. Uh, there was a person with a uh, traditionally female name. I'll say from an Anglican standpoint, it's generally a female name. I refer to this person as she. Um, you know, we finished up the meeting. Somebody else, not not the individual I referred to, but somebody else, you know, slacked me later and they're like, hey, by the way, uh, this person uses they them pronouns. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for telling me, Um, you know, I will definitely make sure to do this moving forward, you know, say a little, hey, by the way, sorry for misgendering you. I'll, I'll tell that person directly, privately. But it was it was handled with grace. You know, I appreciate the learning. Um, and so. I think, I think that's very an excellent way to experience. approach it. Yeah, I um, yeah. did the same thing. So in a, another community that I'm part of, um, you know, the leader of the organization had um, misgendered um, someone else in the organization. And it was just a, I, I, I knew that this person knew, um, but it was just a slip, like a, a mind slip. And so I sent her a private message and just said, hey, by the way, they use they them pronouns. And she's like, ah, I knew it. I'm so sorry. I'm going to send them a quick email. And, you know, it was the same situation where it was all approached with like grace learning um, because, you know, we are, again, it's a journey. We are learning. So, but it's great that these these initiatives are being made and these, these conversations are being had. All right, going to jump into the next clip. I feel like that leads into like the conversation we had in class about um, leadership, leadership versus management. Mm-hmm. Where like he clearly was not a good leader. Yeah, he clearly needed yeah. like some support. <laughs> like that's yeah. wrong. I feel like from what you're talking about, he just had a lot of like emotional instability potentially. Just uh, yeah, <laughs> from what I'm hearing, like it sounds like he was easy to lose his temper potentially yeah yeah he it's like anger issues and just Mm -hmm. like berating people for no reason and it's like I feel like that's another thing of like emotional intelligence like not being able to step outside yourself because he acted entitled to everything Mm -hmm. like which is like you have to respect other people to like 
be able to like ask for things back and it's like yeah yeah he just had no like it's like he functioned like everything had to go his way and if something didn't go his way then everybody's at fault i mean it says a lot about who he is as a person but like it should just the goal should just be to like understand each other and help each other not to Mm -hmm. like get reactions out of people yeah that feels very counterintuitive you know it's like why are you trying like are you trying to create a hostile work environment just right. because right. you find it entertaining question yeah. mark? like <laughs> i don't understand why you would do that you know you should try and have your team be like a collaborative positive effort and not have yeah. anybody feel like it's not like unsafe but like unwelcome mm-hmm. you know yeah yeah you should aim to encourage not discourage oh this concept of entitlement um, I know I've shared uh, on our, our friendship Slack channel that I've been watching the Woodstock 99 documentary. You want to talk about entitlement like these. It's it's absolutely insane how. Just so many, you know, these angry white males in their early 20s just. acting into, It just it was very infuriating to watch and just very, very toxic. And so you know, when I'm thinking about toxic workplace culture, it's like, I wonder how many of these people grow into, you know, bosses, because, you know, this was 20 years ago. So is that how math works? So many. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so many. There's a so, lot of failure. So I, many. <laughs> I hate it when people fail. No, when they, when they, yeah, they fail. Fail they, upwards. Yeah, fail <laughs> upwards. It's infuriating. And just this, so when, when she dropped the word entitlement, I'm like, oh, that's, I, it just made me so angry. I'm like, what, what did the, what did they have to be angry about? But, um, so taking it back, you know, 20 years younger. So this younger generation, um, these Gen Zers, uh, you know, what are your observations? You know, I'm getting to hear from these students in my class. Um, but I, I feel like I don't really have a whole lot of interaction um, with folks of that generation. So what what has been your experience, um, whether in the workplace or from a personal standpoint? Honestly, same. I haven't had a ton of interaction. I was, for listeners, I was born in 1992, so I'm 30 this year. Uh, so I would consider myself a millennial. I do work with some great Gen Zers. Um, I have a sister that's three years younger than me, and I have some cousins that are in high school and college. So uh, most of what I see is through that lens. Um, but from what I've seen, I am so inspired. It, it just seems like, and this is all anecdotal, but it just seems like Gen Z is way more plugged in than I was at that age. Uh, you know, They have courage to speak their truth and to go after what they want without shame, um, knowing their worth. You know, um, I think in this environment and maybe because COVID, the, there's a lot more work-life balance uh, em- uh, emphasis on job postings now and having flexible and remote work options and positive corporate culture. And I think that's awesome. And thanks for doing that legwork, Gen Z, because, <laughs> you know, what's good for one group is generally good for all. So, mm-hmm. you know, I am so grateful uh, for, for them for kind of spearheading that and taking on that mantle. And it's, you know, I I probably mentioned this in a lot of episodes of like where I was 20 years ago, you know, when I was their age that I had the privilege of not caring about, you know, anything that I didn't want to care about, that the world is a completely different place now. And um, just what, 
we're all collectively going through as a society and them having to deal with this at, you know, 18 to 23 versus what I dealt with in that time frame in my life that it just, it's, it's impressive how they show up in the world. A hundred percent agree. Very resilient. I mean, I was talking to my partner, we've been married for almost four years now. And I'm like, listen, we're not in school. We're already married. We're, we don't have kids. Like we got so lucky, relatively speaking in terms of COVID and, for sure. and the whole experience. And I mean, in addition to what everything else is going on in the world, like it was an ideal time for COVID to happen in our lives. So these, these uh, Gen Zers are just so resilient and um, are just going to rock it off into the future. And I'm really excited to see it. Totally, totally right there with you. All right, let's check out our next clip. So we talked about stories of like bad leadership. (laughs) I recently, (laughs) my job recently got a new director and it's like very refreshing. Like he's very open. You can tell that like he came in and immediately like you could tell like he he has been for like our team. our team is made up of like a lot of, we're going to school, it's made up of a lot of different teachers and staff. We did this thing where everyone wrote down three facts about their culture, and then we hung them up like all around the school. Then everyone tried to guess. It was like a team building, getting everyone to know about each other. I thought like it was really nice. We got a chance to get a deeper, like, understanding of everyone. And I thought like it, it created a nice work environment. And it was, it was cool. I've never had that happen with a leader before, but it was really nice. It's like a pretty good icebreaker, you know, and mm-hmm. I feel like probably people, even who you had been working with, you probably learned new things from them just by doing that. Yeah, definitely. I've been working there for three years. I'm like, wow, really? <laughs> After three years of knowing someone. Yeah. It probably helps to have a really open leader. Like, I feel like it takes away the pressure a lot of the times of a situation and you know, and like not having that like judgmental space, I feel like it just allows you to be more expressive in like your ideas and, you know, ways that you can impact the organization. Yeah, I feel like a good leader uh, brings forth like better workers. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. the fact that we did that and we learned we are, are better at our job now, which is I feel like the goal of a company and any organization. Like you want your workers to be better. Yeah. So they give out better results. Yeah, I think acknowledgement is like a really important thing. Like just having people feel like they're a part of what you started. Like, mm-hmm. you know, being able to meet people where they are and understand things that are going on in their life. You know, you were in a vulnerable condition and it's like, um, I just don't think that's like, what builds trust when people can't understand things that are going on in somebody else's life, like especially mm-hmm. in like the workplace. Um, Cause it's like, there's this whole, you know, capitalist desire to just keep moving and moving. And I feel like people don't recognize that people have things going on in their lives. Things that could be potentially like traumatic and could affect their life for like a long time. And I just don't think that's a way to like build trust and, you know, establish like this culture of just understanding and just genuine like care for others, like just yeah. you to be a good person. Right. Sometimes you got to put the needs of the business aside to make sure like that your team is good, you know. Yeah. 
Well, Becky, um, I'm curious, uh, you know, do you, do you feel that your needs are, your emotional needs are being met um, with your, within your new team? And um, I'm also curious, how do you connect with your coworkers? I know you're only in the office a couple of days a week, um, but how, how does everyone kind of check in with each other if you do at all? So Yes, I definitely think my needs are being met with my new team. It's it's an amazing community. I'm I'm very very lucky to be where I am. Um, I'm surrounded by a lot of women, uh, a lot of people of Which color. Which is the opposite folks. from your yeah <laughs> previous my previous experience. my previous experience was very homogenous. Um, uh, you know, I, I can even just see in my leadership chain folks who are openly part of the LGBT community, folks who are transparent about their physical and mental ability differences. Um, you know, so, so seeing that displayed in leadership, which is the way that the company shows that it values people, right? It, it uplifts these people, it puts them in a position to succeed is, is just really great. Um, it's really refreshing, you know, to walk into a space and, and immediately recognize a sister soul there. Like you, you almost release a breath that you didn't realize you were holding. Um, in terms of cultivating a positive culture, uh, just connecting to people uh, on a personal level, right? I mean, and we did this at my old company too. I, I will say the boss I had at my old company created this little like oasis. She had cultivated this really great, uh, you know, little haven within a more homogenous environment where she uh, cared about us as people and, and reached out to us outside of work in, in a good way, you know, um, always checking on us, especially during during the height of the pandemic and, uh, we shared everything from books and podcasts and TV shows and, and had safe outdoor meetups, things like that. And that, that has continued in, in my new team um, is, is just trying to find those bonds and those, those tendons to reach across any gaps that, that appear. So there um, is time carved out for socializing and, and really getting to know one another. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And, and being in a more creative space now, I think, it's more embedded in the culture, you know, because it's, it's supposed to be innovative. Uh, I, I do think the old company I, I was at because it was uh, much more structured and, and government related, there was not a lot of room for error. There was not a lot of room for um, trying th new things. We had to hit very, very exact scientific, you know, measures. Way it's always but, been done, Becky. Way it's always yeah. been done. So, um, this this company I'm in now, it being an innovative, you know, customer forward company is is been great, and it and it does uh, encourage that that type of culture of opening each other's minds to what is possible. I had a similar transition as well. In um, you know, my first out of college job, I was working in logistics, and so kind of the same thing of you know more or less like glorified data entry. There's no, there is one way to do things. <laughs> um, did it, it, it was not fun. Loved my coworkers, <laughs> loved being able to work, you know, in, in old city, that was absolutely wonderful. Still friends with, you know, some of the folks that I, I used to work with there. Um, but it just, the, it, it was not a job that served me. And so to leave there, to go to grad school at Temple, um, to be able to not just get my master's in tourism and hospitality management and really thrive in the classes, but the externship I had while I was there working with student organizations where um, 
you know, thrived on creativity and being able to bring my personality into my job. And I absolutely loved it. So, you know, of course I'm, I'm back in higher ed. It, it just makes sense. Life comes full circle. So I'm, yeah. I'm really glad you have that, um, creative outlet because, you know, even though you have an engineering background, you, we, we met you through our mutual friend because y'all were on like the social committee together or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you're a very, um, fun, uh, you know, outgoing, um, woman. And so I'm excited that you've, it seems like you found your people. Oh, for sure. I do want to take it back to the clip from your students real quick. And, um, you know, the first speaker having a much better experience now that they have a new supervisor. And mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Good for them. I'm happy. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 the, the takeaway I got in listening to that a couple of times, because I, I listened to it before, before this recording also was how one person can make such a big difference. And yes. that, that to me is hopeful, right? It empowers you to say, look at this impact I can have on other people. It also is a large responsibility because as we know, intent versus impact can be different. And so, um, especially a, a, in a position of leadership, uh, those of us that have uh, more power or in the dominant culture do have that responsibility and accountability to make sure our impact on others is positive, to uplift the marginalized. Um, and that's how step function change. I, I mentioned this before about how cultures need to change, but those in power, that's how step function changes are formed is uh, the collective of each individual's impact joining together. So um, I don't know, it's a, it's a little bit counterintuitive and, and conflicting. I've, I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but <laughs> great that, uh, that your student is having a more positive experience and hopefully that inspires people to focus on their individual impact on others. Beautiful. Um, well, Becky, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a surprise question since you weren't able to join us, um, in, in the classroom environment. Um, one of the questions I asked, um, all my guest speakers is just what advice do you have for the students? And so, um, if there's any advice that you want to give to this, this younger generation, um, and feel free to take a second to think about it, but I'd, I'd love to hear any advice you have. Oof. Uh, <laughs> well, it's weird. I, I mean, a bit of the like female imposter syndrome. I, I sometimes feel like I'm not equipped to give advice. So I'll give this in two parts, which goes along with my imposter syndrome. And you'll understand in a second. The first is give each other grace and keep evolving, which I think your students are probably already doing, you know, beautifully is. Oh, we all are. <laughs> right. We're this all is, on a journey together. To tell everyone. Exactly. It's, it's a privilege to learn that you're wrong. I mean, and coming from an engineering background, right? That's how the scientific method works. You discover new information that you didn't know before. You figured out what you thought you knew was wrong and then you move forward and we call that progress. And so often now, especially with social media, there's like canceling and, and, and you know, there's, there's holding people accountable, but there's also like canceling, which is like, yeah. no, give that person space to grow, to learn from their mistakes, to demonstrate that they're going to do better, right? Um, so that would be my advice. But the second piece of that is take every piece of advice with a grain of salt, because I'm just one person, <laughs> <laughs> right? And I was a very sheltered child. And so then when I went into the work world, I kind of just assumed that adults magically knew what they were doing. Like you, you turn a certain age and one day you know how to do your taxes and like a, a switch flips. That's not the case. We're all like faking it. So for you young people out there, you probably know a lot more than you think you do. 
So in addition to giving each other grace, give yourselves credit. And um, while it's always great to take wisdom from elders, you know, take it with a grain of salt. What works for you? You don't have to take another person's word as gospel. You got to make it work for yourself. Love it. I, I think that's excellent advice. Um, well, Becky, I, this was a, a wonderful conversation. I, you know, so many amazing points, um, you know, DEI is, is definitely not my wheelhouse. And so getting to learn, um, from a, a budding expert such as yourself was, was a real treat. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you to Alexis, Eve and Nasira um, for their sage wisdom as well. Um, and listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, check out beyond the venue podcast on Instagram. And we've got seasons one through three streaming on all of your favorite podcast streaming platforms. Enjoy the rest of your day. This is a Bifesta production.